to the Public Safety Innovators Podcast. Connecting you with experts and trendsetters who are leading innovation in law enforcement, private security, and personal protection. And now, your host, Adam Wills. Welcome to episode 21 of the Public Safety Innovators Podcast. In this episode, Fritz Reber is returning to the show as was promised in episode 15 when he came on to talk about the drones as first responders program at the Chula Vista PD and how he and Skydio are equipping law enforcement agencies with some of the most advanced AI drones on the market. Briefly in that episode, we talked about another company Fritz is involved in called Live911 and how the Chula Vista PD is using this technology in conjunction with the DFR program to increase situational awareness before our officers arrive on scene and reduce response times. In this episode, we are going to learn more about the groundbreaking Live 911 technology and how it is changing the way we respond to calls and communicate information in real time. The Live 911 technology has only been on the public market for approximately five months, but is quickly going to become a sought-after technology for agencies across the country. So if you haven't yet listened to episode 15, I would highly recommend you pause this episode, go back and listen to episode 15, and then come back here for this episode so that you can get the foundational information that we will pick up on from here. Now, let's go ahead and get started with my second interview of Fritz Reber. Hey, Fritz, welcome to the Public Safety Innovators Podcast again. Yeah, thanks, Dad. I'm glad to be back. Yeah, thanks for coming back on the show. You're uh, doing some traveling today in the airport, but I appreciate you uh, jumping on here and joining us for the show because we told everybody the last time you were on the show talking about Skydio, we told everybody you were going to come back on and we were going to talk about uh, another company that you're involved with called Live 911. So now we're fulfilling that promise today. Yeah, outstanding. Yeah, let me forgive me for the background noise. Got some elevator music in the background, but uh, hopefully you can hear me okay. Yeah, hopefully we don't put anybody to sleep with the elevator music. Uh, So Live 911, we talked about it just a little bit on the last episode that you were on. That was episode 15, just for everybody's reference. Drones is first responders. We talked a little bit about Live 911 and how you guys were using that at the Chula Vista Police Department in conjunction with the DFR program. So we're going to expound upon that today, give a little bit more detail on what Live 911 is all about and what it's doing to help cops that are responding to scenes and how it's helping increase the flow of information. So why don't you tell us what Live 911 does? What's the problem it's solving? Yeah, so Live 911, uh, which is the product developed by Higher Ground, which is a logger company, Live 911 streams the audio from the incoming 911 calls out to the first responders in the field. This is something that hasn't really been done before. I haven't found anyone else who's trying to do it and do it in a way that's manageable. 
it's GPS location based. So the officers only hear those 911 calls that are in close proximity to them. But typically officers in the field, first responders, they just hear radio traffic. They hear the dispatcher telling them the nature of the problem. And they hear it after a call taker has talked to the 911 caller, sent the, the information over via the type written word in the CAD system, computer-aided dispatch system. And then in a minute or two later, it'll come out over the radio, obviously much refined and less detail and information. And so the idea uh, I had was, while well, as a dispatch manager at Chula Vista, listening to the dispatchers take 911 calls, is the information that the caller gives, you know, all the little details you might hear, even background noise, the inflection of the voice, the urgency or lack of urgency, all those things gave you a better sense of the situation. And also getting it a minute or two before you might otherwise get it would allow the officer to at least head that way and start preparing a plan. And so that was the idea behind Live 91. You know, the evolution now is a product that actually exists and it's serving agencies today. And just in the several months that it's been on the market, as you could point to some lives that it's saved. There's a lot of great use cases. These public safety agencies are telling me the difference it makes every day. Not only a, a little bit of difference every day in terms of cumulative call response time, because officers are getting calls much faster and cumulatively that's going to reduce the overall response time for an agency. But every once in a while, there's a game changing incident where hearing that live 911 audio totally changed the outcome. Yeah, I can absolutely imagine that. I mean, I can't tell you the number of times that I personally have been out on patrol and call comes in and usually it's the in-progress calls where these sort of challenges exist where things don't get communicated very clearly or pertinent details get left out. And, you know, nobody's saying, or at least I'm not, that dispatchers are doing a lousy job or anything like that, but they're not necessarily trained in the same way that we are as cops and the information that comes across to them. They could sometimes miss out on things that might be important or pertinent to us and they get missed by them in the sense that it could get overlooked as something that might be important. And so it doesn't get conveyed. And the number of times I've been in situations myself where find out after the fact when you, you know, the incident is over and you're reviewing those recordings from dispatch and you're like, oh, they told them that? I wish I had known that when I was on my way or, you know, arriving on scene. You know, those little details that can be a game changer that don't necessarily get conveyed. And again, it's not necessarily anybody being incompetent, so to speak. It's just a matter of priorities, what their priorities are to get the call into the system and get it out there and communicate the information versus what our priorities are as we're responding. No, you're actually touching on a really key point. And we found just in listening more often than not, it's just the system that the dispatchers are forced to utilize because that's a system that exists. And it's just inherently impossible to get every bit of detail typed into a written word. And so more often than not, it's just the fact that you hear things that are nuanced that you wouldn't even think to type down. I mean, obviously, there's some blatant examples like the Tamir rights that we can talk about in more detail, which really highlights the value of it. But dispatchers are hesitant, I think, when they first hear about this. Obviously, it's kind of a microscope into what they're doing on a daily basis, much like the pushback from body-worn cameras on officers early on. But what we're finding at, at the agencies are using it, it's actually shining a light on the great work that dispatchers are doing. They are getting a lot of critical information, 
but there's one set of ears. This entire incident, this very complex emergency incident is coming to one person. That's the way the system is designed. And then that person types it in and another person who doesn't get to talk to the call taker, can't hear the call taker, can't even really talk to the 911 caller or the call taker, has to read the information in the written word and then give it out in short bursts over the radio to officers. That system, you'd never purposely set up a communication system like that if you didn't have to. And this is a way to bridge that, to really be able to, you know, let the end user of the information hear in detail the caller's words and also all the other officers in the field. You have more, multiple sets of ears, all with different perspectives, different experiences, different attention spans. They're not required to sit there and type it in. They can just sort of listen to it and, and have a view of the outside world to put it all in context, maybe some past experience with the locations. So you just have multiple sets of ears hearing a situation and you're pulling out more critical information than you could. And it's really the existing systems too much to ask of one set of ears from a person sitting at a desk who's also responsible for typing in to get everything that might be important. It's just impossible. And so this basically does that. It, it just it lets more experts listen to the incoming data and make decisions based on it. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, there's the responsibilities that a dispatcher has are just tremendous. And and I could say this from my own experience, having sat in a dispatch center, spent time in there, you know, uh, really evaluating and understanding what they do, because I felt like that made me better at my job to be able to sit in and take some time to see what they do and how they're doing it and the challenges that they face. And one of the things that I think happens behind the scenes a lot that sometimes gets overlooked, maybe, I, I know I overlooked it early on in my career, that dispatchers are doing is the amount of coordination and collaboration that goes on off the air and off of the CAD system that we don't necessarily see where they're trying to coordinate with fire and EMS and sometimes running multiple channels at a time. And therefore, running multiple channels means airing the same or different information from the same incident on those different channels, as well as putting that differing information from the same incident on different CAD channels. And I would imagine that having this tool at their disposal, not just at law enforcement's disposal, but at the dispatcher's disposal, really would free them up a little bit to be able to do more of that background coordination and collaboration to make things go smoothly with the response to the scene rather than having to focus so much on the documentation part of it in communicating that minute information that comes across in the call. Now, again, obviously you've been there, you're touching on the exact points. And just for a specific example of that point, Chula Vista was the one that in partnership with Higher Ground developed the technology, took it from an idea a minimum viable product and really gave product development feedback to turn it into the product that is today. The key to that was the help of the Chula Vista Dispatch Center, most notably the manager, Carla Even, who's given presentations to APCO on this technology. And what we found was that they actually started to use Live 911 in dispatch because Live 911 is not only the audio of the incoming call, but it also has an integration with Rapid SOS. So you could see on a map in the MDC of the officer's car exactly where that caller is standing, you know, so you don't just get some address, you get to see exactly, just like you would see where an Uber driver was parked waiting for you, you would see where that 911 caller was standing and you'd see where you were on that map and you'd see where the other officers around you were listening to Live 911. So they, the dispatch 
has found that that's a better user interface to find out where officers are and 911 callers. They have rapid SOS, but they have to reach out and grab that data. And, and this live 911 just pushes it to them. So they pull up the, the, the map. They watch the officers. They can tell by a color code who's actually listening to the call. And the call takers have expressed that when they know that the officers who are responding to this call, you know, this sort of unfolding call, a hot call, and they know that the officers are listening, it takes a lot of pressure off them to get every single critical detail because now he or she knows that there's officers listening. Uh, in fact, they'll tell the primary, hey, you know, tell them to listen. And so the, the dispatch will actually give officers hints, hey, could you pull this up on line one? It's an ongoing call. So there's a much better situational awareness from the dispatch as well as the uh, officers. And what we found in terms of the hesitation by dispatch, that is actually turned into a positive where before, and I was work, like, I worked the streets a lot of years and whenever there was a thirst for knowledge, like what color shirt does he have? Which direction are they running? What? And when you don't get it, you inevitably kind of blame the messenger and dispatch kind of, you're frustrated at the dispatch. But when you're listening to the dispatcher, ask all the right questions and you're getting information instantly. You don't have to tie up airspace, re-asking questions you know that have been asked. You hear that the caller is difficult. Maybe there's a language barrier. Maybe they're intoxicated. Maybe it's hard to hear them. They're screaming, panicking. And so you instantly you empathize with that call taker. And we've had officers approach call takers saying, you know, I had no idea what, what it was like to take 911 calls time and time again. And so it's really, you know, what you thought might increase frustration has actually brought the two disciplines together with a more mutual respect. Yeah, that's a pretty neat unintended consequence. I didn't think about that exactly, but that's certainly a silver lining to it. That wasn't something we really anticipated either. So it was, it was obviously a welcome thing. And I think whenever you share more information with more people and you do it in a way that's manageable, not too much information, but information that you can use when you need it, that everybody wins. And I think everyone feels a little sense of less pressure. It's just, it's, it's silly the way it's currently set up that there's one person responsible for all the data coming into the public safety answering point, PSAP or 911 center for a major emergency. And that's how it's set up now. And this is just a way to democratize that and get more experts listening. So let's talk a little bit about more of the officer experience, if you will. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is this, are these calls being streamed over the radio or is it coming through their computer on their CAD system? How how does that, how does that come out? Yeah, it's web-based. So the officers just open up a web page on their MDC or their computer in their car, log in uh, to their using their password. It's secure, you know, like a bank website. And what mechanically speaking, you there's a server that connects to the incoming 911 call, you know, the telephone system inside the 911 center. And the, the 911 call with this GPS data is just slung out into the internet and pushed out to the officer's in the field. So an officer will, you know, drive around and say, and they can predetermine their geofence and say, give me all the 911 calls around my car within a mile or a half mile, whatever it is. You might be in an urban environment. So you, you narrow it to be suburban. You put it out to the whole county or city. Um, supervisors may listen to the whole area. You know, agents might, or, you know, corporals might listen to certain sectors. You can kind of pick how broad you want to hear it. And so you can listen to those calls that pop up around you. So you're not getting every single call in areas that you're not, right? You don't, it only matters if you're close to them. And you can also geofence certain areas. So you can geofence your beat. So even if you're not on your beat, you can get the calls that are coming in on your beat. Um, 
So there's a lot of secondary benefits, perhaps uh, maybe you geofence all the schools and you're a school resource officer and you would know if any 911 calls are coming in the PSAP from any school and you'd see on the, on the map which school, which, where the dot was and, and it's just a heightened sense of awareness. So that aspect makes it a manageable solution. Well, you answered one of my other questions there about, you know, how you limit that proximity. So thanks for that understanding. What happens then if, let's say I create my geofence around the area that I'm responsible for, my sector, district, whatever sure. it may be. And when there's multiple calls that come in, how does that work? Like if I'm already monitoring one and another comes in, do I get to choose which one I want to listen to or, or how does that work? Exactly. So you'll have both a map interface, actually two different maps, and then just a line item of the calls. And so the calls will appear on a line item and you'll see, you know, the incoming alley and any data, location data for the call, the phone number, and they'll just populate uh, sequentially. And then they'll also show up on your map. You can click any one of them to listen to either any of them. Otherwise, they'll play in sequence. And you have different settings. You'll say play until I turn off or play for 10 seconds and move to the next one. There'll be a red X for you to reach up and, and just X one out if it's a non-emergency. A lot of, you know, a lot of dials, a lot of calls that really shouldn't be 911. You just click them off. So there's different user settings that make sense for you. But typically, they'll just show up on the screen. You can only obviously listen to one at a time. And if it's nothing important, click away if you got three or four of them. Then you see maybe three or four clustered in one area, and it's probably all related to the same fire or traffic accident, and you see one off to the distance. You can either click on that on the map or click on the where it is in the line item and start listening to that one. So you might hear something that might have got lost in the shuffle on, on a big fire. You're going to get 20 or 30 calls on the fire. But, uh, you know, this is a way to look at incoming calls outside those regions. It's a great tool for watch commanders who can just look at a map and get a sense of the overall situation in the city, clusters of calls. Great for EOC centers who want to know what's happening in certain regions they're responsible for, but they don't want to bug the PSAP by calling them and asking them what the issues are. They can just sit, listen in themselves. So there's a lot of secondary benefits out of it in terms. It's just a, the DFR, the drone's first responder, was the eyes on what's happening before people get there. And obviously it's you want eyes and ears, and the Live one just turned out to be the system to enable any incident manager to get eyes and ears on a situation before people got there. So you could have a plan before arriving in the blind. Yeah, that's kind of neat how those two end up coming together in that way. Do you have any use cases specifically that you can outline for us that detail an example of how both the DFR program and Live 911 have been used together in conjunction with each other? Yeah, the one, and we actually did a video of it, was an incoming 911 call by someone saying that there was someone at a taco shop playing with a gun, and it might be a toy. It was in Spanish, but luckily the DFR understood Spanish and knew what the person was saying. They launched based on that, and were, were over the, the taco shop in like a minute and a half with the drone, still listening to the person describing the emergency, which turned out to be, you know, a person with a toy gun, turned out to be a lighter. So you had the information that it might be a lighter from the 911 call. And then you have the information, a confirmation of the video of a lighter from the drone feed. The, the officers in the field had access to listen to both the call as well as see the feed before they got there. They mitigated their response in a way that would be less likely you'd ha you you know, have to take an innocent life 
the person was talking to themselves, waving the gun around. So you can imagine, even if you think it's a, a toy approaching someone like that and they point it at you, kind of doesn't leave you enough options. You just don't know enough to, to be able to make a life or death decision like that. But in this case, they did. There's a ton of uses. uses. Polk County has this. Clovis, they've had it in beta, and now other agencies are coming online. Douglas County, Morris County, and a lot of examples. I think um, Polk County had a homicide suspect in custody. The officer was listening to live in one call. As it's coming out, the, the citizen's describing this car leaving a motel. It turned out to be a homicide suspect. The officer was able to stop that person in the car, get the gun in custody, get the murder suspect in custody. And they wouldn't have even, uh, it would have been a minute or two before they had even heard the call otherwise, and that person would have been long gone. Two of us had similar ones where they're driving by a business. Someone's got a person at gunpoint. They're on the 911 call. The officer's driving to like some other unrelated call, and he hears the 911 call. It looks to his right. Coincidentally, he's right across the street and sees the person in the lot with a gun, pulls in and gets the guy in custody even before the dispatcher had even finished entering the call into CAD. I think Clovis had an 80-year-old who was choking. It was a medical call. The officer, you know, probably might not have even been known. It might have just been transferred over to fire, but the officer was able to hear about this choking incident and go in there and, and uh, render aids to an elderly woman. And so that, that type of use case has happened over and over and over again where officers are just, you know, they're getting a minute or two head start and they're having way more information than they otherwise would, not only the audio, but the location of the call. And they're getting their resolving issues, catching suspects. And you mentioned it. A lot of times you're behind a car. You're getting turn-by-turn instructions from dispatch. That's always 30 seconds delayed. You can go half a mile in 30 seconds, you know. And so you're getting a lot yeah. more people in custody, hit-and-run suspects in custody, drunk drivers in custody, because officers can tune in and start listening to the real-time directions and instructions from the caller. I just think it's so awesome what technology has allowed us to do in law enforcement. And it's, it's just so vastly different than when I started first started law enforcement 16, 17 years ago and into what it is now. It's just absolutely incredible. And my immediate reaction is, is to say, how awesome is this? And, you know, let's keep doing that, right? Let's keep pushing that envelope forward. And obviously that's my, my goal, but I can't help but have this other instinctual reaction at the same time that, that says, wait a second, at what point do we start to worry about information overload, right? You know, we've asked our police officers to interact with a lot more tools and devices and, and technology over just the last five to 10 years. When I, when I first started, I didn't have an MDC in my car. I didn't have a smartphone. I didn't have a body camera. I didn't have a taser, right? And so yeah. we've added all these different tools over the last decade and a half that causes a guy to say, okay, at what point are we going to create information overload? And even hearing these examples that you've given me of how DFR and Live 911 have worked together, is that a concern that you have with those two specific tools or even Live 911 just independently that does it become an information overload at some point? You know, that's a really good point. That was a, one of the biggest concerns, obviously, when we first were envisioning this concept and developing it is would it be uh, information overload, right? For the, all the reasons you said. So we were delighted to see in the actual testing that it wasn't. And here's several reasons why. One, it was a voluntary 
technology. You know, every agency is different, but the way the Chulvista data tested it and still operate today is if an officer wants to listen to it, great. If not, and they can turn it off, they're no worse off than they are today, right? They're just do the traditional system. That's, that's all that's expected of them. They told them, hey, at least turn it on and just put it on mute if you don't want all this information. That way people can see where you are. And then you can certainly just unmute it when there's a call that's really hot. You know, they're encouraging people on probation who have a hard time managing just radio traffic to to not use it because it's something, you know, a trained ear and more experienced multitasking might use. You have supervisors realize that maybe not everyone is is ready to use it. So you kind of monitor that. You know, officers with more experience who like to monitor other frequencies, who listen to fire and neighboring agencies, this fits right into what they're already doing. It's just a sep- it's one more thing to scan. They can narrow down their, their geofence so they hear just those within a thousand feet or from 500 feet, you know, really small. So they're not overloaded and they're just getting the calls that they might actually drive into, right? A robbery at a 7-Eleven. You, just, you don't want to pull in the lot without knowing what's going on. So there's a lot of ways that, that uh, you can sort of cater it to your bandwidth, so to speak. And, and it doesn't really interfere with existing operations. You know, the whole thing can turn off one day. It, you're no worse off than you were without it, right? You have an existing system. It's not meant to, to replace the existing call response technology. It's just an add-on gravy for those officers that are willing and able to take advantage of it. Sure. Most new business owners like to just dive right in and start building their website, setting up their social media pages, and doing all that other fun marketing stuff. But if you haven't created a customer avatar, you are seriously limiting your potential, and worse yet, wasting lots of money. If you don't know who your ideal customer is, how in the world can you market to them? This style of marketing is more likely to get you the same kind of results is trying to sell a Tesla at an Amish convention. Crafting an ideal customer profile is the first step to starting a successful business. It will impact literally every piece of your marketing and sales process. So how do you begin creating a customer avatar? Well, as discussed in chapter two of the Marketing Minute, you first have to identify the problem you are solving and who you are solving it for. Then you need to begin understanding who they are, where they spend their time, both virtually and in the real world, and what values and goals motivate them. Once you understand these things, you can begin to craft a message that will resonate with your ideal customer. Check out every chapter of the Marketing Minute by going to psi.chat forward slash marketing minute. And if you are a copper newer yourself, then head over to leo2ceo.com to get resources and tips to help you take your side hustle to full hustle. Now, before we jumped on to start recording, you, mm-hmm. Fritz, you had you had mentioned to me something called dispatch priming. What what is that mm-hmm. exactly? So dispatch priming is, you know, just from a very high level, uh, it's when the dispatcher gets information from a call taker and inputs their own perceptions rather than just, and this is human nature. It's very hard to, to do anything other. So you have your own, your own concepts, your own predispositions, your own beliefs, your own biases. 
and then you dispatch or type down those things in a way that maybe change the intent of the call taker and and force the officers to get information that either heightens their response and they over respond or they uh, you know lower their response and don't respond adequately enough some examples that where you know this type of dispatch priming occurred um, one was the Tamir Rice incident tragic shooting of a of a juvenile in a park in Cleveland in 2014 the call taker was in the park saying hey there's a there's someone here a pointing gun at people you might want to check it out he's a juvenile i think um you know it's a it's a toy gun i think but you never know and you might want to have some officers come by well dispatchers are hesitant to type in suppositions they just want to relay facts they don't want officers to be underprepared and so you know I, i'm just speaking for or in general, not specific to this Tamir Rice case, but the dispatch system did not relay those critical facts or, or uh, observations from the call taker that they thought it was a juvenile and they thought it was a gun. It came out as just a person in the park with a gun pointing at people, and the officers responded in a certain way that uh, tra- ended in tragedy. I think if they had heard the, the lack of urgency in the caller's voice, and you can go online and, and hear that call in itself, and you would see that the, the call taker wasn't. Uh, there was no sense of urgency. The call taker thought it was a juvenile. It was a toy gun. Just sort of suggested someone come by and check it out, which totally, as you heard that, would have likely changed the officer's response. Another one, the most famous example, was Professor Henry Louis Gates, who was you know, trying to get into his own home. A call taker called 911 and then actually was trying to talk the dispatcher out of believing it was a burglary. The dispatcher was sort of putting words into the call taker's mouth. So this is a burglary, this is a burglary. And the call taker's like, no, I don't think so. It just seems suspicious, sort of. And the, the officers responded, detained the person, and, you know, became a famous incident where, you know, President Obama was involved, and it was very not a, a, a good situation for an agency to get themselves into. And I think officers would have responded differently had they heard the call itself. Again, this is, you know, not just one set of ears with their own biases listening. It's, it's multiple sets. And you get... Uh, you know, get a, a cleaner picture of what might be happening when you have more people listening and, and evaluating. Context is is so important, and uh, this technology certainly gives more context to the situation. Yeah, I mean, we've all experienced text, right? We want to like relay. We want to get emotion in there. That's why they made emojis. Well, they don't have that luxury in dispatch centers, and right now, dispatchers without live nine one are forced to read the written word, decipher what's important, prioritize it amongst all the other incoming calls, and get it out to officers in short bursts over the radio. And, you know, most of the time, it's, it's not game-changing. It's as an engine tragedy. You get through it, but you're not responding as quickly as you could. And every once in a while, there's one where, had you heard it, it would have totally changed the outcome. And it's all about better outcomes. Now, you, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Fritz, you're the brainchild behind this idea, right? This was originally, you started this idea, is that correct? Yep. I had the idea of, of streaming it. And, you know, as soon as, it, whenever someone has a good idea, you go to Google and, and see that the world has thought of it. I, I didn't, went to Google, didn't see that. Went to Command College, which is a futures thinking college yeah. for police in, in California uh, really fleshed out the idea, wrote a paper that was published in Police Chief Magazine, and then went on a search for an, uh, you know, someone with the capability of making it. Found higher ground, the CEO, Terry Ryan, and uh, Vice President 
Tom Goodwin sat down with me. I was able to explain the idea. They obviously make loggers. They, they understand the concept and it was a, you know, an adjustment to a user interface because they already allowed people the ability to listen to incoming 911 calls. This is just a way to, to do it practically speaking with all the geofencing and in-car streaming I talked about. So they started making the project and then I was able to, um, point them over to Chula Vista Police Department because I was doing consulting work with them for their drone as first responder. And they talked with Don Redman, who at the time was the dispatch manager, had also been to command college and wrote papers on similar type of, you know, future looking dispatch related technologies. And Eric Wood, who was a sort of a savant that Chula Vista got out of Silicon Valley, who, you know, wanted to go from, you know, the startup world to helping out police departments. So he was a you know, high level IT guy. And, and those two really are the ones that turned my idea into a real product. Not only them, but all the other officers and drone pilots and dispatchers who worked on the product, listened to it, provided feedback, improved it over time. Hey, what if you did this? What about this? How about having a night screen so you can, it doesn't blind you and the, the, all these things that you wouldn't think about until you start using them in actual life. And they drove around and used it for months really in higher ground just just soaked in that information and made a product that was you know really usable and then we had some other beta agencies like clovis police department and polk county who you know really did a lot of work too in terms of product development and now you know agencies are seeing the benefit of all that work so when did this idea actually come into fruition so uh, around 2016, I think, is when I thought of it. The 20, end of 2016 is I wrote the paper. It was published, I think, 20, end of 2016, early 2017. I spent a, a year just trying to find people to develop it and then found Higher Ground, I think, about 2018, 2019. And then they spent a year and a half developing it. And we didn't want to put it in the cars at first because we didn't know how officers were going to handle it. If it's too TMI, like you said, or maybe it was just maybe the emotion of hearing someone being attacked in real, in real life might be overwhelmed. You know, it was serendipitous that we were having the DFR program. So we hear we had a, a pilot who was sitting in a room just waiting for a reason to launch a drone to something. And rather than wait for CAD entries to hit or radio traffic, they were actually listening to Live 911. And this was the way it was, you could prove the value right away. The drone pilot was like launching based on Live One. They didn't want to even fly the drone without Live One because, you know, when you have a two minute response time and you can get data a minute ahead of everyone else, you know, you're cutting your response times in half. There's so many times where they're actually over the scene of an incident today because they're still flying. They've got over 5,000 missions. And I'd say 70% of them are launched based on Live One data and they're getting overhead routinely before the calls even fully entered in the CAD. So as soon as the officers hear it on the radio, wow. you've got a drone overhead, you've got a, a DFR pilot describing the scene, giving them information, telling them to disregard if this scene's no longer, if the incident's no longer happening. So it's really uh, changed everyday operations for Chula Vista and, and uh, anybody who wants to do DFR. But of course, it's not just for DFR. It, it's, a, it's an add-on for drone-related operations, but it's really a tool for everyday patrol operations for any agency. And you said that that's been available on the public market now for, you said like three to five months. Is that it? Yeah, I think about six months now. Okay. Six months where I, I it actually went to market. And that's awesome. I think one thing that ahead. I want to pull out of that, 
I really just want everybody to kind of settle on and hear because I know that there are obviously we've we've determined on this podcast now that there are lots of people listening that are either copreneurs themselves uh, or would be copreneurs that we want to eliminate the idea that y- you can go from an idea to market you know right away right i mean there it takes time it takes investment it's a long game and you've you certainly had to i mean we're talking you know it's 4 years now 4 or 5 years from the time that you had this idea to now where it is finally on the market and it is a scalable thing. You know, I think that's important for people to hear that this sort of thing doesn't just happen overnight and you can have an amazing idea. And I certainly want to encourage people that have other amazing ideas that we might get to enjoy the fruits of in, in another four or five years. Just, you got to stick with it and you've got to, you've got to align yourself with the right people and be smart about how you how get after it. Yep. hundred percent. You just, it's always a team, right? I mean, ideas are only as good as the the people that get together and make them a reality. And so the story of Live on One is about right place, right time uh, and the right people with a shared vision and the technical know-how to turn, you know, an idea of one person into a product that actually works and serves people and saves lives every day. So We've uh, established, I guess, that it's taken four or five years to get to this point, but I'm sure that doesn't mean you stopped dreaming about this idea and where it could go. So certainly, I'm going to assume here that you have some ideas for what the future four to five years from now looks like for Live 911. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, so it's evolved even since the idea, right? The the genesis of the idea, the, the real I guess the DNA of the idea is the idea of getting audio, the 911 call audio to the officers in the field. Um, that's what started the progress. What we found and what, you know, frankly, hats off to Captain Don Redman and Eric Wood and, and Ed Handog and the others at Chula Vista who worked with Higher Ground is integrating Rapid SOS. Now the fact that location comes into that user interface for the officers has turned out to be at least as valuable, if not more in the audio. So it had a secondary uh, benefit. And so just driving around, even if you don't have the audio going and you can just see on the map where that caller is, the officers just didn't have a way to get that information so instantly. And then if that caller moves, you know, you can imagine, you know, before it was, hey, go see the person in the parking lot of Costco. Well, I mean, come on, that's, that's huge, right? To be able to see exactly where that person's standing and where you are and just drive until those two dots come together. It's changed everything. And and I totally foresee other real-time information coming through that same portal. They've already got it up for the quickest, most important information, and that's the audio. They got it up for the location. What other information might come in to data centers, dispatch centers, that normally would come in to the dispatch and wait to be sent out? The officers could instantly appear on that map. Information like license plate reader hits of stolen cars or wanted cars. Um, airbag deployments, um, shot spotter information. So it really becomes the potential for a, a real-time information portal where uh, officers can pick and choose what information is important to them, pick the geographic region uh, that they want to be notified of that information, and they have a, a single web application where all this information is piped to them instantly. It's, as quick as anybody gets it, they get it. Well, it's not just about the trying to identify the location of the person, the generic person who's walking around in the parking lot. Right. I mean, how often 
do people leave? I mean, I can't even tell you the number of times that I've responded to a scene only to show up and be like, okay, well, where are they? Only to then find out that while they were still on the phone with dispatch, they decided to leave and go somewhere different without relaying that to anybody. And so, I mean, this is, this is a huge tool to help with that sort of situation as well. Exactly. Right. You've got citizens running away from, from people chasing them. You got citizens following someone who, you know, in a car, you have that real time location data. That's, you know, invaluable because it's a picture, right? You don't need to tie up the air going, where are they now? Where are they now? A lot of times the callers, they don't know, you know, I'm by that big tree, right? <laughs> so it's just a, a way to cut right to the critical information in visual form, in real time form. And there's just countless examples of when it made a difference. So now would I be correct to assume that that location feature only works with a 911 caller who's on a cellular device or does that work if they're calling from a landline as well? Right. So the location, especially when they're moving, obviously when you move it on a landline, you'd get the address on a landline, but 80, 90% of the incoming calls these days are from mobile phones. So the right. vast majority, you do get that exact location data of the caller. Cool. Any other future ideas or, or things coming down the pike? Like I said, there's a lot of uh, information that officers and first responders could use, um, which would be valuable if they got it the instant it occurred. And so we're talking with anybody who will have access and have a service that provides that data. Um, I think they envision providing it to PSAPs. And we would like to be talking to anyone giving and then discussing potential to get that information into the Live 911 portal. But as it stands now, I think the value of getting the incoming 911 audio and the location data stands as itself as a game-changing level of real-time information that I think as soon as an agency gets this, in the month, first month, they'll have many, many stories where it made a difference. At uh, Chulavis Police Department, Roxanna Kennedy, a true visionary, someone who uh, you know leads an agency and really inspires this desire to improve and use technology to innovate and meet the needs of her community. Um, she's, you know, this is the culture she's developed. She recently announced that uh, Chula Vista was able to reach their priority one response time to under six minutes, first time in a decade. And she attributed wow. largely to the technological innovations of DFR and Live No One. Have you guys thought at all of, of how this might be able to integrate with body-worn camera technology as well? Yes. Yep. That there, I think there's a, an obvious play there. Not really sure in my head fleshed out what that would look like. So like body-worn cameras that have location data, um, maybe there's a way to integrate that into Live No One because right now it's just on the car, but officers get out of the car. You could it be integrated with a, you know, a body-worn camera or some other handheld device? Could it sit in an application, iOS or Android app? Those things are all under discussion and or development. You know, I don't want to speak for higher ground because this is something really they're leading, but these are all conversations and ideas that we've discussed. And we're open for more. We constantly, I get outreach from people on LinkedIn and other areas where they're offering ideas and, and you know, that's what's the beauty about a software-driven solution. Uh, you get a robust expert team like the one at Higher Ground. They can make these changes, and, and you can download those improvements 
as soon as they're developed. The, the product is yeah. always improving. Fritz, I wanna I'm gonna have to put you in touch with uh, my good friend Alex Popoff from Visual Labs. They're in Menlo Park, California, actually, and they have the most advanced, as far as I'm concerned, the most advanced and and robust body worn camera solution that is out there. And it is also very much a software solution, not a hardware solution. And those guys are are doing incredible, incredible things with the future of body-worn camera technology. You may have heard them. I had Alex on the show. He was actually episode four. We, we had Alex on and we talked about their technology and what they're doing. And I could easily see how the two of you guys would be able to come together and create a really awesome integration that would be unstoppable. <laughs> no, that's great. I, I, I As you were talking, I just reached out on LinkedIn and, and connected so hopefully we can touch base i'd love to learn more you can put us in touch uh, via email but whether it's drones or live 901 or dfr I, i love talking to uh, innovators and and uh, end users because situational awareness is key <laughs> so any solution that enhances that is, is there's a way to integrate it and enhance it and partner yeah yep for sure well, cool. I think you've definitely got uh, gotten people excited about the idea of Live 911 and what it can do. I, I really hope this uh, takes off for you. I don't see why it wouldn't. I think it's an obvious next step in public safety technology. So I'm looking forward to watching how you guys take off and, and grow this thing. Wonder if you have any, do you have any closing thoughts that you want to share with everybody or any anything that you wanted to cover that we haven't done so, so far? No, I would like to say that I really appreciate the opportunity to come on here and explain in depth. You know, there's so many good ideas out there and, and, and it's just hard to find a venue to get them out there and to have podcasts done professionally where people on their drive home can, can listen in detail and really uh, hear information about new technology that they just otherwise wouldn't. Time is of the essence these days and we've all been on enough Zoom calls that we don't want to sit through another demo and to be able to get a podcast and listen to it at your leisure on a plane, in a car, or wherever, I think is a great way. It's all about the information again and how, how we get that into the people who need it most. And so thanks for the opportunity. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the show for sure. So why don't you let everybody know if, if somebody wants to get a demo of Live 911 or uh, they just want to connect with you to uh, share ideas and create the uh, a connection, you know, increase their sphere of influence, if you will, together, how would people connect with you and, and request those things? So you can go to www.live911.com or just Google Live 911, all one word, L-I-V-E 911. It'll take you to Higher Ground's website. There's some other resellers out there that are selling it on the website that you can request a demo. There's a web-based demo where you can actually kind of experience what it's like and listen to calls and see how they show up on the map so you get the user and user experience. So go to them. You can reach out to me directly, uh, myself and Don Redman, uh, on our off time. Uh, we'll get on a Zoom call and walk you through it and give you a demo. Um, you can reach me at fritz at rrpsc.com or hit me up on LinkedIn or whatever. But a lot of ways to find out uh, about this technology. All right. Well, I will put uh, all of that contact information for everybody in the show notes as always. And um, I'll also be sure to drop in there some links to the things that we talked about today, like uh, a couple of the episodes we referenced and 
I found your magazine article here that you did on Police Chief uh, Magazine. We'll throw that on there as well if oh, anybody wants to check that out. So, yeah, uh, check out the episode notes for the show. It'll be psi.chat forward slash zero two one for episode 21 yeah again thanks fritz thanks for being on the show again looking forward to uh we'll have to have you back again in the future i'm sure there will be more things to share on the uh, future growth of what uh, uh you're doing over there not only at live 911 but also at skydio so i'm looking forward to continuing to hear from you no again thanks for the the opportunity adam really appreciate it yeah likewise Hey, thanks for sticking around till the end of the show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review at psi.chat forward slash review. I would love to hear your feedback and it will also help other public safety innovators like yourself find the show. Be sure to check out the show notes for this episode. Just go to psi.chat, click on episodes and search this episode number and you'll find all the links, descriptions and resources we talked about. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe and you'll be notified when the next episode is live. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch you guys on the next episode.